Welcome to A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk with Rev. Jennifer Hadley. Get ready to focus on your intent to be the love, be the peace through practical application. Here is your host, Rev. Jennifer Hadley. Bonjour. Bonjour. My name is Jennifer Hadley, and I love A Course in Miracles. So happy to be able to share it with you and to connect in this way. I am up in Maine at our family's home on Deer Isle, and uh, it's an amazing spring-like day here, even though it's early November was out for a wonderful walk with the fur babies this morning, Bodhi and Sattva, my dog and my kitty. And we're loving it. And I'm loving you. So grateful for our connection. Let's begin with a blessing and a prayer. Our topic today is the best defense. So let's open ourselves to an awareness of love's presence. I place my hand in my heart and I wholeheartedly partner up with that higher Holy Spirit self. We're putting spirit in charge of our decisions, spirit in charge of our perspective, spirit in charge of everything. We are grateful that spirit is our true nature, our true identity. There's nothing outside of us or separate from us, and we are willing to give up the idea that there is. We're embracing the truth. We're embracing the fullness of love and God's presence. We are grateful to allow ourselves to fully remember the truth that sets us free. In gratitude, we let it be. We're sharing the benefits with all our brothers and sisters, every being, everywhere, because we're united. One life, one power, one presence. Forever, without end. And so it is. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. So I came across this paragraph in chapter 3, and uh, I I uh, knew immediately, oh, this is the topic for the podcast. So we're looking at the chapter 3. It's right at the beginning. So section 1... Uh, Chapter 3 is entitled The Innocent Perception, and Section 1 in Chapter 3 is entitled Atonement Without Sacrifice. So remember, we're talking about accepting the atonement for ourselves. What does that mean? Accepting that there is no separation, never has been, never could be, never will be. And so we're accepting that. And we can have that oneness, that awareness, that oneness consciousness without sacrifice. That's what this first section in chapter 3 is about. So let's begin with that first paragraph here where it says, A further point must be perfectly clear before any residual fear 
still associated with miracles can disappear. And and this is so important. We can't read this sentence without taking it in because if we have a fear of miracles, if we have a, and a miracle is our shift in consciousness, it's a shift in thinking where we shift from valuing the ego thought system to valuing the Holy Spirit's thought system. So if we have any fear about giving up the ego thought system, if we have any fear about adopting or remembering or uh, revisiting the Holy Spirit's thought system, then we're, we're going to deny ourselves the opportunity for miraculous shifts in consciousness, which bring miraculous shifts and changes in the world of form. We, we don't want to miss the miracle. So let's look at this point right here so that we have no fear of miracles. Let's not be afraid of any of the miracles. We'd like all of them. Yes, yes, yes. So it begins, a further point must be perfectly clear before any residual fear still associated with miracles can disappear. The crucifixion did not establish the atonement. The resurrection did. So the atonement is that acceptance of the oneness of all life. So the resurrection is the acceptance of eternal, infinite oneness. Many sincere Christians have misunderstood this. No one who is free of the belief in scarcity could possibly make this mistake. If the crucifixion is seen from an upside-down point of view, it does appear as if God permitted and even encouraged one of his sons to suffer because he was good. This particularly unfortunate interpretation, which arose out of projection, has led many people to be bitterly afraid of God. Such anti-religious concepts enter into many religions, yet the real Christian should pause and ask, how could this be? Is it likely that God himself would be capable of the kind of thinking which his own words have clearly stated is unworthy of his son? So, if we look at the world we see that there are factions of people, groups of people, who really dwell on the crucifixion rather than the resurrection. And it does seem as though, from my perspective looking at it, that the intention is to frighten people, to frighten them into thinking that they're sinners and they will be punished and to feel more and more guilty because Jesus died for your sins. And I'm just going to mention here, as I usually take any opportunity to do, and the whole idea that 
Jesus died for our sins came from Paul the Apostle, who was the one who met Jesus on the road to Damascus, hit by a blinding light of Jesus's already resurrected spirit. And he became the great proselytizer for Christianity. He had been, in Jesus's lifetime, the great... Um, uh, he hated the Christians, Right, so he was persecuting the Christians and then he became the great proselytizer. And in his letter to the Romans, remember it was the Romans that put Jesus to death. In Paul's letter to the Romans, he says, Jesus died for your sins. He said it to the people, basically, that he knew had put Jesus to death, the Roman community. So not that everyone is the <laughs> reason why Jesus died. We didn't, Jesus didn't die for your sins and my sins. That, that's something that was made up, and we need to remember that. Because it scares people, and... There's nothing scary about God, but the stories that people tell about God can make us afraid of God if we believe them. So then here's this next paragraph that begins, the best defense, as always, is not to attack another's position, but rather to protect the truth. Yes. So think about a time when you have felt defensive, when you're maybe arguing with someone and you're feeling this strong need to be right or you feel attacked and you're defending yourself, the best defense, as always, is not to attack another's position but rather to protect the truth. So in my personality, in my life, I have found myself to be very defensive at times. If somebody, uh, when I was younger in particular, if my parents said, Jennifer, did you, whatever, eat the last thing? Did you break this lamp? Did you, whatever? I would immediately deflect it and say things like, well, what about my brother? My brother did this, my brother did that. Or what about you said, blah, blah, blah. I'm always defending. that. That's how I was versus just, I did, I broke that lamp. <laughs> and I'm sorry about it. If, we, if I could only have not gone into that defensiveness, now, what I can see about myself back then was I felt so wrong and so bad that any additional criticism or accusation or wrongdoing or complaint against me would send me over the edge. I couldn't handle it. 
So I needed to try to deflect anything and everything. And so I would always argue to be right. I would always attack as a form of defense. And this is what Jesus is talking about here. The best defense, as always, is not to attack another's position, but rather to protect the truth. Think about how some politicians, there, when somebody says, hey, what about this? You didn't do this, you didn't do that. They just go right to attacking another's position. They don't explain. They don't um, apologize. They just go right into attacking someone else. So the best defense always is to protect the truth. Now, what does that mean, to protect the truth? Let's see if we can get any ideas here. Jesus writes, It is unwise to accept any concept if you have to invert a whole frame of reference in order to justify it. This procedure is painful in its minor applications and genuinely tragic on a wider scale. Persecution frequently results in an attempt to justify the terrible misperception that God himself persecuted his own son on behalf of salvation. So, if we can just look at for a minute that many Christians are raised to believe what it says here, God himself persecuted his own son on behalf of salvation. That is the most twisted logic. And think about this. Think about how parents will say to a child when they're going to punish them, this hurts me more than it hurts you. You're making me do this to you. I um, had as a guest on this podcast years ago, many years ago, maybe 2015, 2014, 2013, I can't remember now, um, Rhonda Britton, friend of mine, and she, I believe in the episode she shared her story of when she was a child on Father's Day. Uh, She had been out with her dad and her sisters, maybe her mom too, and uh, they came back home and then her sisters were in the house. She was on the porch. Her mother was... um, either getting in or out of the one car, and her father went to his car, took out a shotgun, and shot her mother, shot Rhonda's mother, killed her. And then he turned the gun on himself and shot himself, killed himself. But before he shot her mother, before he killed her mother, 
He said to her, you made me do this to you. You made me do this to you. So this kind of thinking, you made me punish you, you made me kill you, you made me hurt you, you made me attack you. This is 100% ego. But in certain religious groups, this is, in a sense, the teaching that God is saying to us, you made me kill Jesus. You made me do it. Because you're so bad, I had to kill him. He died for your sins. This is a message that children are taught, many are taught, and we can recover from that by valuing the truth and becoming very committed to valuing the truth. So it says here again, it is unwise to accept any concept if you have to invert a whole frame of reference in order to justify it. So the whole idea that Jesus died for your sins, it, it, it's, it doesn't make any sense, right? It doesn't make any sense. So this is what he's saying here about inverting a whole frame of reference in order to justify it. This procedure is painful in its minor applications and genuinely tragic on a wider scale. So he's not attacking the Christians here for doing this, but he is saying that it's tragic. And I do agree that uh, this twisting of Jesus' messages is genuinely tragic because it is on a wide scale. And it's an illusion. It's a dream. Let us value the truth and move forward rather than lament what's been done. Let's undo it by accepting the atonement for ourselves and not looking back, but being in the present moment where the love is and being willing to Stop attacking other people's positions and instead protect the truth. So the truth, as I see it, is that Jesus did not die for our sins. Instead, he was giving us the example of being able to not even have to forgive because there's no judgment. Understanding that the crucifixion was to make his point of life eternal, that he could roll away the stone, come out of the tomb, walk around town, be with his friends, his family, and they could touch him and see him and see that he was the risen Christ. He was no worse for wear for having been crucified. The perfection was intact, demonstrating that miracle of resurrection. 
All right, so it says here, persecution frequently results in an attempt to justify the terrible misperception that God himself persecuted his own son on behalf of salvation. The very words are meaningless. It has been particularly difficult to overcome this because although the error itself is no harder to correct than any other, many have been unwilling to give it up in view of its prominent value as a defense. In milder forms, a parent says, I forgot this was even in here. This hurts me more than it hurts you and feels exonerated in beating a child. Can you believe our father really thinks this way? It is so essential that all such thinking be dispelled, that we must be sure that nothing of this kind remains in your mind. I was not punished because you were bad. The holy benign lesson the atonement teaches is lost if it's tainted with this kind of distortion in any form. The statement, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, is a misperception by which one assigns his own evil past to God. The evil past has nothing to do with God. He did not create it, and he does not maintain it. God does not believe in retribution. His mind does not create that way. He does not hold your evil deeds against you. Now, in these three or four different uses of the word evil, it's always in quotes, uh, as if to mean that, that there really is no such thing as evil. I, I love the de- definition of evil that Ernest Holmes gives in the Science of Mind teachings. He says, evil is that which appears to be destructive. And he gives an example of winter appears to be destructive. But it's necessary for the cycle of death and rebirth in nature, right? After winter, then comes spring, then summer, then fall. So we need that dormant, death-like state, just like in our human experience, the body passes away and we're seemingly reborn into a new body. It's got nothing to do with evil, Right. So if we if if I really think it's so helpful to say when there's a temptation to label something as evil, that which appears to be destructive, and remember that everything works together for good. All right. So God does not hold your evil deeds against you. It is likely that he, is it likely rather, that he would hold them against me? Be very sure that you recognize how utterly impossible this assumption is and how entirely it arises from projection. So this is the thing for us to understand. And here's where the best defense is 
to value the truth. The truth is God is not holding anything against anyone because everything that happens in this world is happening within the illusion. And no matter how far down the dark rabbit hole we go, spirit is not going to hold it against us. Our higher self is not going to hold it against us. It, it, that is just not going to be the case. However, we will be affected by our experience of being unloving and unkind. Think of if you take a plant that needs the sunshine, needs the water, needs nutrition in order to grow. If you remove the plant from those necessities, sunshine, water, nutrition, the plant will wither and die. So if we stop being in the flow of love by allowing ourselves to be loving, to extend compassion and kindness and being generous of heart, if we stop doing those things and start being angry and bitter and and murderous and vengeful, we will begin to wither because we are cutting ourselves off from that which is our true nature, perfect love. So think about in your life, oh, there I am. It's time for me to take a break. <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll talk about this when I come back from the break. My name is Jennifer Hadley. You're listening to A Course in Miracles. And I'll be right back. Thank you for tuning in for A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk. Welcome back. We're talking about valuing the truth instead of attacking as a defense. So the best defense is to value the truth. And, oh my gosh, have I learned this to be true. Not only does it make life so much easier, it makes life so much better because the truth renews, it restores, it refreshes, it reboots us. So valuable when we are truly interested in knowing the truth, living the truth. That's why I talk about walking the talk and living the love. Yes, living the love is living the truth. I'm just going to mention here that my Masterful Living program, my year-long program that begins in January, right now we are almost ready to uh, open registration. We have an early bird registration list, and early birds get to register early, <laughs> and uh, that's the benefit. You get first crack at it, and just so you know, 
please register as soon as possible if you know you're going to join in Masterful Living. Why? Because we have bonuses that are live with me on Zoom beginning November 10th. November 10th. So register early so you get all those. You can get the live classes with me versus the recordings. And I'm excited. I've, I've got more bonuses this year than ever before. And uh, I love doing that. Love adding the bonuses. So come on down. Get your bonuses. If you're interested in my year-long program, Masterful Living, and you're not sure, you'd like to uh, talk with someone about it, you can make an appointment to do an exploratory call with one of the spiritual counselors and they will answer any and all of your questions. The exploratory calls with the spiritual counselors, they're counselors, they are not salespeople, but they've all done the program so they can answer the questions that you have. And it's a free call. It's a free call. So go to jenniferhadley.com and go to the Masterful Living page and you will be able to see the early bird registration and you can also make uh, an appointment for an exploratory call. All right, let's go back to uh, valuing the truth here. If we get this point here that God does not value retribution, God is not about vengeance because God is not holding anything against us. If we get that, that we do not need to defend ourselves against attack, instead we value the truth, which is that God does not attack, And then we can be in this place where we recognize what freedom comes from being able to say, I'm unafraid of God because God does not attack. God does not seek revenge. God does not punish. Therefore, there's nothing about God for me to fear. This is absolutely life-changing. And when we find ourselves in situations such as uh, we forgot to send that email, we forgot to buy the milk, we forgot to do the car insurance, we forgot to make the deposit, we forgot to make the phone call, and people are annoyed and upset with us instead of defending ourselves. If we can see, and this takes real alertness, but if we can see that this is an opportunity, think about this now, this is an opportunity for us in the moment to practice remembering that God never attacks. Therefore, we are safe in God forever. So there's no reason to hide from God and there's no reason to punish ourselves preemptively because that's what many people do. They feel badly about themselves so they preemptively attack themselves. 
in order to say basically, hey, God, look, I've already punished myself for that. You don't need to to bother paying any attention to it. Yeah, no, I've already taken care of that. I've acted on your behalf. I've punished myself or I've punished them. Right? So if we can really watch our mind for any predilection to punishment, any attraction to punishing anybody for anything, when people are defensive with us, that tells us that they feel guilty, they feel bad, they feel wrong, they feel ashamed. I noticed that this is a very common thing. For instance, saying you say to somebody, um, oh, you know, you forgot to, to whatever. And they say, oh, well, yes, but okay, yes, I did forget that. But look what I did over here. I did this. I did that. And so that, too, is a defense. And... For me, it's been really deeply healing on an ego level, bringing me back into my loving heart, that if somebody says, you made a mistake here, you did this wrong here, you are unloving here, you forgot something important here, that if I can just go to, oh, I see you're so right about that, I did, I did. I'm sorry if that caused you discomfort. I'm sorry if that make th- made things hard for you. Let me see if I can make it up to you. So I don't have to make it up to somebody out of guilt. I can do it out of kindness. You, you had some suffering because I forgot to do whatever that I said I would do. So... Let me let me do something nice for you. I appreciate your patience with me. I appreciate your kindness with me. And we can just learn to be open-hearted in these ways. So powerful. We always feel better when we're being kind. I know I do. And when I'm not being kind... It hurts me more than it hurts anyone else. And so the truth is, it hurts everyone else in the sense that all are deprived of love when one person decides not to be loving, even if they're just not being loving with themselves. So back to... The statement, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, is a misperception by which one assigns his own evil past to God. The evil past, again, evil is in quotes, has nothing to do with God. He did not create it, and he does not maintain it. God does not believe in retribution. His mind does not create that way. He does not hold your evil deeds against you. It is likely, is it likely that he would hold them against me, Jesus asks. Be very sure that you recognize how utterly impossible this assumption is and how entirely it arises from projection. This kind of error 
is responsible for a host of related errors, including the belief that God rejected Adam and forced him out of the Garden of Eden. It is also why you may believe from time to time that I am misdirecting you. I've made every effort to use words that are almost impossible to distort, but it is always possible to twist symbols around if you wish. So going back to the best defense is the truth, to value the truth, to be interested in the truth, to protect the truth. The most fundamental truth is God is love. God does not punish. God does not attack. We are of God. So it is not our nature to punish or to attack. When we're identified with an ego self, a separate self, a false self, then we have an interest in attack. We're focused on lack. And so the best defense is the truth. What does that mean? How can we apply it? In very specific ways. To me, it's always helpful for me to get into the specific ways that truth is helpful. It's always helpful to me to get into the ways that the truth is clarifying. It's liberating when we are focused on the truth. So the truth is, I can't attack my brother without attacking myself. The best defense, as always it says, is not to attack another's position, but rather to protect the truth. So let's say in these very political times where there's a lot of attack going on in the United States uh, with different political factions, if we just think about people who are pro-vaccine, people who are anti-vaccine, attacking each other, I, I happen to... As I've mentioned before, I'm not vaccinated. My intuition is for me not to be vaccinated. I don't have, I really don't have an interest in thinking about other people and what they should do or not do. The majority of people I know and I'm close to have gotten vaccinated, but some of the people I'm very, very close to have not. I have people who are uh, uh, on both sides of this discussion, because there definitely seem to be two sides. And I am not interested on being on a side. I just am following my intuition. People question me about it from time to time. Some people interpret it, make meaning of it, and I'm, I'm just not interested in playing along with any of that. However, I am interested in the truth. So the truth is everything in this world is something I have given meaning to. Everything in this world is symbolic. So the virus is symbolic. The vaccine is symbolic. And the different positions, political positions, are are also symbolic. 
what's it all for? That's what I'm interested in, the truth of what's it all for. In a sense, I I can't say that I really know. But what I can do is I can say I'm interested in using all of it for good. Now, I have been a spiritual counselor for more than two decades. And in those two decades, I have counseled many a person who was very upset because of something that was going on in the world, particularly around elections, where people become absolutely terrified that their candidate would lose and the other candidate would win. And I've counseled people who uh, had opposing views. So it doesn't matter, truly. People, Democrats, independents, Republicans, they can all become frantic, hysterical. They have opposing views, and it's their views that make them really, really upset. The best defense against the end of democracy, the best defense against poverty and decimation and all of the things that people fear is to anchor into the truth. The truth is, I am eternal. This is what I was talking about in the last episode. And I am part of an infinite experience of love, an infinite broadcast of love, eternal, infinite love am I. That is the truth. So let me align with that truth rather than attack other people's positions. Let me take a stand for love. Because if everybody takes a stand for love, there will be no attacks and there will be no need to defend And since there is no other, there is just the one, there's just me, (laughs) then if I'm being loving, love is all there is. I'm affirming it. I'm expressing it. I'm revealing it. And that makes a difference. Seek not to change the world, but to change your mind about the world. So if we're going to change our mind about the world, we're going to protect the truth. We're going to value the truth. This is our divine opportunity right here, right now. I think it was Gandhi who said, we cannot simultaneously work for peace and wage war or we cannot prepare for peace and work for peace while preparing for war so to the ego we can we can do those things (laughs) we can prepare for war and have peace and expect peace so on the most basic place 
for us to practice is in our relationships. So I invite you to think of any relationship you might have, including the relationship with yourself. Maybe it's the relationship you have with your body or your neighbor's dog or somebody at work, someone in your family, some politician, someone somewhere in the world where you feel like they are an adversary and you want to attack their position. The best defense, as always, is not to attack another's position. And I have truly found that this is very helpful to keep in mind. So let's say somebody has a political position just because the Elections are so much on the mind of many people here in the United States. The temptation might be to argue for your political view by attacking another's political view. It's not the fastest path to helping people make decisions. It's not the path to truth. We can instead keep going back to protecting the truth. So what does that mean on a practical level? The truth is we are love and love is our nature. And when we are loving, we are powerful. When we are unloving, we are destructive and we're not powerful. We feel weak. And we are focused on fear and lack and limitation. That's not a position where we can really be helpful. It's more important to be helpful by protecting the truth. It's such a different way of living The best defense, as always, is not to attack another's position, but rather to protect the truth. So think about what that would be in your workplace where there's opposition or oppositional beliefs. Think about in your family. Think about in your neighborhood. Where can you protect the truth? That everybody matters. Everybody matters. Everybody is part of God. No one is more part of God than another person. That is the truth. The truth is that God does not punish. God does not attack. It's not God's nature. God is perfect love and so are we. We don't need to fear God because God would never attack us, no matter what we did or didn't do. God would not attack us. It's not going to happen. It's not possible. Because this world is an illusion and the infinite creator love intelligence that God is has no judgment. None. That is something of the ego. Let's take a stand for no judgment. 
in our hearts, in our minds, in our families, in our workplace. So simple statements when someone is judging and attacking and the temptation arises to defend ourselves or someone else, instead of defending, let's just open our mind. This is the thing that I have found works really well for me, is to say, Spirit, what do I say here? How can I be helpful? What is the truth that I can share here? Is there something for me to share? Maybe it's there's not. Sometimes it's just a question. I see how upset you are about this. How are you? How can I be supportive of you today? Don't necessarily need to have a conversation about what the person is upset about. Right? Don't need to do that. Don't need to help them see the light. We don't need to help change their minds. We don't need to do any of that. Just being loving, being compassionate. Then we're aligned with the truth of our being, which is that we are perfect love. So are they. And we are eternally joined in this perfect love. So extending love, joining with others in true love and compassion, that's healing. That's nurturing. For me, what's been very, very helpful is to look at what is my intention Is my intention to hurt someone? Is my intention to cheat someone? Is my intention to get the best of them, to put them down, to make them feel small or bad? Because it is done unto us as we believe. And our intentions go ahead of us. And so while we might be thwarted in our intentions, our intentions still have an effect on us because we're harboring them. So for me, I have learned to be very clear about my intentions. And sometimes we are muddled in our intentions. We just want what we want and we can push people out of the way because we don't even sense them or see them or feel them or think of them as having feelings or being valuable or important. We're just pushing people out of the way because we want what we want, right? That's the the egoic way is to behave like that and to not care what other people suffer, to try and cut ourselves off from what other people suffering are suffering. Now, other people's suffering is the meaning they make of it. It's how they hold it in their heart and mind. But our intention is mixed in there. So for me, being aware of my intention and that my intention is to live by the light of the truth My intention is to serve the light of the truth with all of my thoughts and all of my words and all of my being because it lights me up, because it makes me happy, because it's the most joyful thing I know. And I don't have to be dour and serious and intellectual 
I'm not interested in that at all. I've had enough of that. Valuing the truth, looking for the truth, living by the light of the truth, serving the light of truth, it makes us happy. It's delightful. (laughs) And it's a decision that we make. I am determined to see. I am determined to see by the light of the truth. And to live it, to walk it, to value the truth so much that it, it's being broadcast. I'm like a lighthouse broadcasting the truth without saying anything. Just the vibration. That's my intention. So every day I'm whittling away the ego attachments, the ego identification, and being more and more my true self, which is that light, the light of the world. I'm determined to see it in myself. I'm determined to see it in you. And this is what makes life so liberating and so much more fun. Oh my goodness, let's value the truth and put aside any need to defend ourselves at all. This is the way we walk in God. (laughs) Valuing the truth, putting aside any need to defend ourselves. So we can be on the watch for any temptations to defend ourselves. Notice how there's an attack that's often related to the defense Let's put it all in the holy altar fire of God's love. Let it be dissolved and resolved permanently back to the root cause and give thanks. Yes, 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 yes. Well, I'm going to wrap this up. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to connect. And just remember, Masterful Living Registration is getting ready to open. We've got live bonuses that are beginning right away. And I look forward to sharing them with you. Live bonus classes with me coming right up here in November. Early November, later November, then in December, all along the way, we've got lots of bonuses to share. So let's place our hand on our heart. We are grateful. We are thankful that our life is the life of God. Our mind is the mind of God. We've got the truth. We've got our innocence. We've got our magnificence. We've got the Christ within. Who could ask for anything more? So we are grateful to share all that has already been given to us. And through the sharing of it, we discover and remember just how much we have. So grateful, so thankful to let it be, to know it's done, and so it is. Amen. 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 God bless. I love you. Mwah.